0: But I'm going to be finishing off our leadership series. Uh, Last week I spoke about uh, servant leadership, uh, a topic that I'm really passionate about. And uh, I I spoke to you about about how Jesus uh, is really exhibiting this kind of leadership that is that is transformational, that really impacts and changes people's lives. And uh, I spoke about how this term servant leadership is based on the inspiration on uh, of Jesus and um, is, is really amazing. We looked at the definition, I think it's going to pop up on the screen. And Robert Greenleaf was a, an author in 1970, he wrote... Uh, This definition of servant leadership, a servant leader focuses primarily on the growth and well-being of people and the communities to which they belong. While traditional leadership generally involves the accumulation and exercise of power by one at the top of the pyramid, servant leadership is different. The servant leader shares power, puts the needs of others first, and helps people develop and perform as highly as possible we spoke about how if you know how to serve people if you learn how to lift people up around you you are already leading you don't have to have a position you don't have to have a title you just have to have a heart and you just have to have a desire to see people around you lift it up right that's seven leadership any one of us can perform it can live it out and the good news is that when you use seven leadership research academic research is showing that it is an effective effective form of leadership. In fact, the top-down approach, the the person at the top of the pyramid approach with the authoritarian is only effective in emergency situations. So I will not shout at you unless there's an emergency. Sometimes there are. Um, But you know, if I want to lead you, I have to get to know you. I have to learn how to lift you up. And so we talked about three things about servant leadership that Jesus exhibited. We spoke about how servant leadership is necessarily relational. It's about people. People become part of you and you become part of their lives when you exhibit servant leadership. That's the first thing. If you don't want to be around people, don't serve them, don't lead them, but you're also walking away from what God has called you to do. Number two, servant leadership practices boundaries. Now, we are part of people's lives. People are part of our lives, but remember what we were saying? Servant leaders wash feet, not... Wow, yeah, you guys remember that. I forgot I put it on. I thought you guys were so good. You weren't even here, Sandy. <laughs> but seven liters, wash feed, not armpits. If you want to get a full context of that message, that's available on podcast, which Sandy did listen to. And, uh, but we spoke about how we're not here to do everything for everyone. We meet the needs, and we teach people to be responsible, and that's how they're going to grow. That's how they're going to live out what God has placed on their life. And the third thing is that servant leadership impacts generations. Servant leadership is not confined to the one person. You need to teach people, to teach people, to teach people, to live out the servant leadership lifestyle, and that is what keeps things going. We see this in the New Testament. Jesus served 12. The 12 served however many they got around, those serve. we're here because of the service of those generations before us. We don't stand here just because of something random that happened. Someone served you in order that you are here today. And we need to learn how to be served. We talked about this. You need to learn how to be served and then you can serve out of that and you teach them how to keep going and going and keep the cycle going. This morning, I'm gonna talk about two things that seven leaders need to carry in order to be effective, all right? The first one is a loud voice, and number two is lots of money. <laughs> How many of you relate to that? How many of you believe that that is what leadership looks like? It's loud, it's flashy, it's, it's you buy people's trust, you, you buy them gifts, uh, yeah, So we're moving to Hong Kong, by the way, guys. I'm totally joking. <laughs> some of you got that joke, some of you didn't. We did not get bored. We got blessed. And, um, and, and, and some people look at leadership and they think that it's this powerful, it's this, this, this position where, where people shout and, and, and command respect. That's not leadership. Leadership looks very different, and there are two things that we need to carry. And let's look at John chapter 1, 14 to 17, and it says this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We're looking at Jesus because Jesus is the first person to truly show us servant leadership. And so we need to look at Jesus and how he did this in order for us to maybe understand how he carried out his leadership. And And at Lift, we want to practice servant leadership because it is effective, but it's also because it's part of our vision. For those who don't know, our vision is very simple. It's inspiring people to live. We want to inspire people to live. We want people to see the fullness of the life that Jesus affords to us. And we want people to be inspired. We're not going to push people. We're not going to manipulate people. We're not going to force people to that life. You need to choose that. And so we're going to inspire you. And quite often, servant leadership is that form of leadership that inspires, that helps people to take those steps towards that life. And it's messy. messy it's stupidly difficult. It's the reason why I go to see a psychologist once a month. No joke. I go to debrief with the psychologist because you know what? People don't color in the lines. You get what I mean? People, you you see, leadership would be so much easier if you were here, and I told you to move there, and you moved there. And then I told you, okay, now that you've made that step, well done, good and faithful servant. Now one more step. Ah, oh, you did it! One more. And then you keep going. And isn't it easy? You move from your stupid old self to this glorious Christian self. I'm not calling on anyone stupid, by the way. <laughs> kind of did. I was thinking about one person in particular, no, I wasn't. <laughs> I'm just trying to show you that when you try to help a person, you say go there and they go here. You say you need to make that change and they go, nah. And, and it's like suddenly, they, it's, it's like they rope you in, right? Suddenly they, they take a step in the right. Oh, yes, they, they praise the Lord. There's breakthrough in their life. It's like, What happened? between the last five minutes that I had a conversation with you. I had a conversation with a young man once, and he was making what I thought was a really dumb decision. And I said to him, and and God's given me this gift of insight. If you don't want me to know things about you, don't talk to me. Because I can just guess what is happening in your life. And I guessed exactly why he was doing what he was doing. I said to him, hey, mate, can I just say, I think you're making this decision because of this reason. Am I right? And he was like, yeah, you actually hit the nail on the head. So I said, so what are you going to do about it? I'm going to do exactly what I already said I was going to do. I was like, I just showed you how stupid that decision is. He's like, "Yeah. Will you still love me? Will, will you still let me catch up with you and, and talk? I was like, yes. I don't want to. But servant leadership would be so much easier if people colored between the lines, joined the dots the way they're supposed to. In other words, servant leadership would be easy if people simply did what I told them to do. It went really quiet because, you know, it's true. Any parent would be like, parenting is easy if your kid just did what they did. How many parents have got kids that do exactly what you want them to do? How many of you are wanting to give up on parenting because your kid does not want to do what you told him to do? It's hard. I go for therapy, you guys should too. (laughs) Leadership would be so much easier. But if I'm simply expecting people to blindly follow me, unquestioningly, it actually cuts across everything that servant leadership is about. Isn't that just old-school leadership? Isn't that just authoritarian leadership? I know better than you, I'm more of an expert than you. You should actually just trust everything that I'm going to tell you to do because that's God's place, me in your life as, as a, you know, um, I don't know, the prophet, the pastor, the priest and everything. And so you, that's old-school leadership. If you expect leadership to be straightforward, then you will never be able to practice servant leadership. And when we look at Jesus especially in the light of what, what John writes about him it says that Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. And what it goes on to say is that out of this out of his fullness we have received grace in place of grace already given. What does that mean? It says it continues for the law was given through Moses that's the grace that was already given. Grace and th- truth came through Jesus Christ, which is this new grace. What is he talking about? The old grace that we have all received is also known as the Torah, the old, the law that Moses gave that you can read in your Bibles. Why is that an old grace? It's an old grace because God did not need to give you a way to have relationship with him. He didn't. He could have pressed reset button, drop you, Reset with someone that did not have a will, did not have personality, did not have sin, and start from there. He did not need to give you a second chance. Why? Because he is God. How many of you, when you used to play, pretend, and make Lego worlds, and one of them disobeyed you, you went, you know, I'm gonna show you. No, you're like, see you later. That little part doesn't want to work anymore. See you later. But God chooses to allow us to find a way back to Him. And He did that through the law. In fact, He put into the law a way for us that when we are disobedient, which He knew was going to happen, that we can offer sacrifices that would allow us to continue this relationship with Him. And so that was the old grace. And it was an old grace because as much as it already had some kind of fail-safe, it, we still failed. Let's be honest. Look at the Old Testament. How many people truly follow God in all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Not a single one. They all made mistakes. They could not keep up with the old grace. And so what does God do? He gives us a new grace in the form of Jesus, and out of His fullness is grace and truth. What does this tell us? That when we want people to simply follow the code that we have written, when we want people to simply follow the plans and the designs that we have made, it's not gonna work. But when we walk with people in the fullness of grace and truth, that's when people can change and be transformed. Servant leadership Part of it is letting go of this sense that I know my five-step plan that will help every single person in the world. And instead, I'm gonna learn how to carry two things, grace and truth, in order that people can be lifted up around me. Now that sounds great, doesn't it? Grace, truth. But there's something about grace and truth that I have begun to explore and learn. I'm still on a journey, But one of the things I realized about how I view grace and truth is that I saw it as on a spectrum, a continuum. Got a little picture uh, that will come up on the screens, but grace is on one side, truth is on the other side. And I used to think that at any moment, I have a combination of grace and truth that might be maybe if I'm halfway, I've got half grace, half truth. I, I used to think that if I walked fully in truth, I would not be able to walk fully in grace. But if I walk fully in grace, then I would not be able to walk fully in truth. Let me give you a bit of an example of a situation that happened when I was much, much younger. So much younger. I was 19 at this time. And um, I still had amazing hair. It was a long time ago. Bex found like white hairs, one on each side. It's like a little antenna. I think I'm turning into Shrek. Um, but I was 19, I was back in Singapore, I was doing my national service, um, and um, I, I went back to an old church that we were part of before we came to Perth, and I was serving there. And uh, one day, one of, one of my friends texted me, or, or I can't remember exactly how uh, this person told me, but um, this person told me that, hey, do you know that there's this girl, I'm going to call her, um, I'm going to call her Jen, Jen, because I don't think there's any Jens here. Anyone called Jen? No? Okay, cool. So someone told me that Jen, uh, Jen likes you, and she's written a blog um, about it. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and as any 19-year-old guy, and probably any single guy would do, I went to go check out the blog, because I was like, oh, someone wrote a blog about me. That's kind of cool. I am not even joking. This blog was um, one of the strangest things I've ever read. She documents the times that I've had interaction with her. Exactly. So the latest post was about the previous Sunday, how I had walked through McDonald's and said hi to her. This person had the saddest life I've ever seen. She was just waiting for me to talk to her. I'm like really now i've known this girl for a long time because she was in the, she was a few years younger than me when we were um, back in singapore we were in church together but she's so shy that i barely ever heard her say boo so when i said hi she's like <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah so i just thought like she was a shy now i knew she was stalking me Um, And so I read his blog post, and it was like, oh, okay. Now, I had very mixed emotions at that point in time. I was like, okay, on one point, it's kind of cool that a girl likes you. For any single guy to know that any girl likes you is like, oh, cool, I've got something. (laughs) And so it was like, I'm 19, I'm single, uh, a girl likes me, cool. On the other hand, it's like, but she's a stalker. And so what do I do about this? This is a bit intense, right? It's like, uh... And then there was the other thought, it's like, what if she's the one? You know when you're single? You know when you're single and suddenly someone shows you some affection? I mean, she wrote a blog post about me. How many of you... Beck has never written a blog post about me. She, she hasn't tweeted about me. I think she Instagrams me once a year. This girl blogged about how I said hi to her. Maybe she's the one. I don't want to be dying single and dying alone. And maybe God put her, maybe she's the one. And then there was the other question in my head. Do I want her to be the one? And i like, uh, uh. Now, I can't make this up. This is real. While I was reading this blog post, I was signed into MSN. For all of you who know MSN, MSN is is chat thing that's really old. I, I think Facebook bought it out and it became Messenger. Uh, but I was signed in because I'm um, just kind of seeing who's available. It was my weekend. Uh, I was not in, in the army camp, and so I was like, I want to chat with friends. And I'm not even joking. I'm reading this blog post, and she comes on. And I'm not even joking about this, because you can't joke about stuff like that. It's, it's too, like, whack. I'm not that whack. I'm, I'm quite a normal person. and, and, and um, So I found out that one of the tricks that girls use to let guys know that they like you is to tell friends to tell you that they like you. They don't tell you face to so, face. So she said, hi, and I'm 19. I don't really know how to talk to girls, so I wrote, hi. Full stop. Send. There was no emojis back then, by the way. Um, and, and so she said, um, uh, I heard so-and-so told you that I like you. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm reading this blog post, I'm having all of these thoughts, and there's this girl chatting with me right now. And, and so I did what I thought a gentleman would do, and I told her the truth. And I said, hi, um, yeah, know, I know about this. Um, um, look, let's, I, I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't like you that way, and I'm gonna be going back to Perth in a year anyway, so I can't see anything developing, so um, sorry kind of thing, and she probably was crying on the other side of the internet. I'm so glad that she initiated this through the internet, because it was face-to-face, I'd be like, uh. Um, and so we probably had like a couple more lines of conversation, and then I was like, all right, this is weird enough. GTG, see you tomorrow at church. That's a bit old school. All those who don't know what GTG, GTG is, is has got to go. I had nowhere to go. I was just like, uh, yeah, this, I, I'm going from this conversation. This is weird. I went to church the next day, and I was public enemy number one. Seriously. Every girl was like staring daggers at me. I felt like I was on trial for war crimes against humanity. It was like, what the heck is going on? And um, one of my closer girlfriends uh, from church, she, she was like, what did you do? And I was like, well, what did I do? I rocked up to Jen. Isn't this is a good thing? It's like, and I was like, what do you do to Jen? What do you say to her? And I was like, "Told the truth. It was like, isn't it good? Like, she can move on. I can move on. We don't have to be awkward. And she's like, no, you don't. You when a girl likes you, you've got to let them down slow. You don't kick them off the cliff. <laughs> and I was like, so what was I supposed to do? She said that she liked me. She's like, you're supposed to say something like, I, I like you too but not really in that way. That you're a nice person and the issues are more to do with me than with you. And I was like, no. No, 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 she needs to move. I was like, you just don't understand girls. And I'm telling you that that hilarious story because it honestly was one of those moments where I was like, what the heck did I just do? I went from... um, the bachelor, to the war criminal in a space of 24 hours. And what I learned is that grace and truth do not go hand in hand. What I learned is that when I'm truthful, I cannot be gracious. And I learned that if I'm gracious, I cannot be truthful. If I told a girl all those nice things, I would not have been able to bring up the truth. But if I brought up the truth, which I did, apparently I was not being gracious it took me years to understand that what sometimes people think of grace is actually nice. Right? That we think that we cannot be truthful and nice, or we cannot be nice and truthful at the same time. And I had to unwire my thinking rewire my thinking because what the Bible says is is that Jesus did not carry grace and truth it says that he carried the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth I've got this picture that I mirrored I'm really proud of this picture that's gonna come up see grace and truth are two different arms I know there's a missing body in the middle but I cannot help that all right the two arms and there is grace and there is truth and we need to understand that as servant leaders we don't carry just truth and neither do we just carry grace and if you look into any of the gospels any of the gospels and you see that jesus was carrying full grace and full truth and you read every account that Jesus is interacting with people, you will find that Jesus is bringing full grace and full truth to every situation that He goes into. Let me show you. In John chapter 2, I looked into John. Just for this uh, message in John chapter two, Jesus was at a wedding in Cana, and they ran out of wine at this ceremony. Now that is a very disgraceful thing. It means that you are poor and you could not run the ceremony well. It would be a really bad start to uh, this marriage. And so, Jesus's mum was there as well, and, and she said to Jesus, "You do something about it." Now read Jesus's response. It is crazy. She he said this. He didn't say mum. He says woman. John chapter 2. How many people will dare to call your mum woman? My mum's right here. I'm not looking at her right now. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Completely truthful. Just Woman, what is wrong with you? You know better than that. My time is not here now. But then what does he do? He goes on and he turns water into wine. He did not he could have just done it without telling his mom anything. But somehow he he carried grace and truth into the situation. In John chapter 3, a teacher by the name of Nicodemus comes to him and he comes to him at night. Why did he come to him at night? So that no one would recognize this teacher of the law, this Pharisee coming to Jesus. That was really disgraceful. Again, this whole idea of disgrace, this idea of shame. uh, And and Nicodemus comes and he asks Jesus, How do I get born? How, How do I inherit the kingdom? He wants to know about the kingdom. Did Jesus go, come back to me tomorrow in the light to show me how much you really want this? After all, I am the light. Okay. No, no, no. Jesus had a full conversation with this guy. He saw that this guy was truly looking. And so he tells Nicodemus very truthfully that if you want to inherit the kingdom, you have to be born again. Nicodemus is like, what? And he's like, you've only, basically Jesus is saying, you only got halfway to where you need to go. Honestly, you're not there yet. This is a guy who's devoted his whole life to following the law and trying to be perfect. And Jesus like, you're only halfway there. You need something so much more that you cannot get in your own strength. This guy walked away. He did not know what to do. It's kind of interesting because at the end of John, we read that Nicodemus was one of those that came and took Jesus' body off the cross and buried him. He was a secret follower of Jesus. It's crazy that this whole secret follower thing was okay by Jesus' standards, but he still told him truth, grace and truth. Some of you might know about the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Jesus speaks. This is chapter after chapter. Just read this for yourself. Jesus goes to Samaria, which is like, no, no, because Jews and Samaritans don't like each other. He goes there and he speaks to a woman. Second, no, no. Men and women do not speak. Jesus speaks with a person that he should never have a conversation with, culturally speaking. And he tells her, you are an adulterous woman. (laughs) He goes all the way to a place to speak to an outcast and tell them all the sins they've done. Grace and truth. If you try to follow Jesus' method of dealing with people, you will never find a consistency that you can go, this is exactly how you deal with people. Why? Because Jesus was willing to stay in the mess of grace and truth rather than to stand in a place saying, here's a five-point plan to clean up the world. Jesus didn't give us a five-point plan to clean up the world. He said, serve people. He said, reach them, love them. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if if you have love for one another. See, when we understand that we cannot neglect grace and we cannot neglect truth, it changes the way that we see discipleship. It changes the way that we see leadership. And I'll be completely honest with you. This was something very recent for me and it really impacted me because I, I was in a place where I thought I needed to bring some correction to one of my um, uh, disciples, if you will, and, and, and I, was, I was like, this is difficult, this is difficult. And, I, and I, I found myself saying this, I don't know if I have enough relationship to say this. Has anyone ever been in church circles and you heard someone say, I don't have enough relationship to deal with that issue, right? Right? And we use that line all the time, I don't have enough relationship to deal with that issue with that person. And I felt after a while, God challenged me. What kind of relationship do you have? If you cannot bring wholesome, necessary truth to this person, what kind of relationship do you have? You see, the thing about our relationships in kingdom mindset is that it's completely different Our relationships on this plane of existence tends to be with who the person is right now. And it's great. When you find someone who loves you as who you are, it's like, yes, you know, that acceptance, the affirmation is beautiful. The kingdom has that because Jesus accepts you as who you are. But the kingdom has another dimension of relationship that we need to understand. Kingdom relationships is about who you are right now and it also is about who God is calling you to be. And if my relationship with my disciple could not be talking about who this person was going to be, I did not have a real relationship. I needed to see that me sowing in truth and grace into this person at all times is actually going to build the relationship. It's not going to decrease the relationship because we think in human eyes and we think in human mindset, we think that if this person is angry with me, this relationship is jeopardized. In kingdom mindset, it's like, no, you'd be willing to risk it all for the sake of the other person. There's so many weak Christians. There's so many people that are living in destructive lifestyles because Christians want to be nice and not truthful full of grace, full of truth. Let's look at Matthew 18, 15 to 17. I'm running out of time. This is what Jesus says. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. How many of you have done that recently? Jesus said to be his disciple, do all that I've commanded. He didn't say if your brother or sister sins. If you have enough relationship with them, If you think that the relationship could last whatever bombshell you want to drop, then go for it. No, no, no. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. That's so interesting. You tell someone else their faults and you win them over? The last time someone pointed out my faults, I was like, stuff you. Get out of my life, get out of my room, get out of my wherever. I just want to see you right now. But I recognize something about this. This is talking about kingdom relationships. If your brother or sister sins, go point out a fault just between the two of you. Why? Because you want to see the best for them. Now... I learned that this is not just about leaders going to point out people's fault because a few verses later it says that if they don't listen, go to the leaders of the church. This is about normal, everyday people. This is about you. Going to someone that has faulted you, sinned against you, hurt you, and pointing it out in a gracious way, one-on-one so that you don't have to disgrace them in front of anyone. You're not chucking a hissy fit. If you've got a problem with someone, how often do you go to the person? Or do you go to someone else else and say, oh, you know what this person's done? You know what, they've, you know what they did to me? You know what they said to me? Oh my gosh. Such, what the heck, man? What's, what's wrong with it? Go to the person. Yeah. Deal with that issue. That is grace and truth. It goes on to say, if they do not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I used to think that you get people that know that they are wrong. You get them together, let's gang up. Now, three of us, let's go talk to Andre because, oh my gosh, that guy just doesn't want to listen to me. And he's like, let's go. And this is what you say, and then this is what you say, and then we get him. All right? And then Andre is going to have to change because the three of us are gang. It's not what the Bible says. It's establishing the matter with two or three witnesses. I'm getting an impartial person that wasn't part of this and say, hey, Bet, can you just come? Hey, Andre, I know that we've got some issues right now. And this is what I'm thinking. Andre shares what he's thinking. And Bet can go, hey, guys, Nate, you're actually the one in the wrong. You need to apologize. It's an impartial mediator. This is showing grace. Why is it showing grace? It's showing grace because I know I might be wrong. I don't really know what is going on. I don't know the fullness. And sometimes I'm too invested in the situation for me to be able to see what's going on for Andre. Grace understands where you are at. The Bible tells us that we have a high priest that empathizes and understands what you are going through. He understands your weaknesses and still he cares. That's how he brings grace. And sometimes you need, because we're humans, we need a third party to come in and establish what is going on so we can find resolution. And then it goes on to say, this is weird, it says, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. I don't really know what this means. I'm still searching this out, being completely honest. But what I felt what I was praying about this is that, think about how Jesus treats the pagan and the tax collector. He actually seems to love them a lot. He dines with them. He parties with them. He has conversations with them. He tells Zacchaeus, who is his tax collector, chief tax collector, who stole money from so many people, who said, I want to have a meal with you. There were hundreds of other people that Jesus could have done this with. He chose the tax collector. I think what this means is that you understand where the person is at. Because so often we come to church with our church face. I'm all right. I'm perfect, I don't sin. It's like, I'll hold that comment. But after this establishment of like, no, 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 that's that's wrong. I said, okay, now I understand where you really are at. I've had to do that before. Why? Because when I think that my brother is the super saint, I get so angry with him. Because you should know better. You should know better. What is wrong with you? You should know better. But when I treat this brother as a pagan or a tax collector, selfish, broken, I'm like, I understand. You haven't met the grace of God yet. I don't need to bring you more truth right now. I need to bring truth and grace right now. It's okay. See, the thing about this passage as well it says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. There's this little hinge. If they don't listen to you, they will reject you. One of the things that stops people from being servant leaders is a fear of rejection. Pure and simple. You can bring full grace, full truth, and not solve the issue. (laughs) You thought that you are come in here for this great talk about how you can deal with conflict. No, I'm telling you, sometimes conflict can't be resolved. And I hate it. I hate it. I really hate it. I hate being in situations I can't solve. I hate being in situations where the person can choose to reject me. And that's why I go to my therapist. (laughs) Because honestly, serving and leading people leads to rejection. It leads to amazing growth. But sometimes it's easier to remember the rejection. But, This is how Jesus did it. And isn't this how Jesus continues? Like what Beck was talking about during communion, she said, she talked about Judas and she talked about how Jesus still learned how to forgive. Jesus brings full grace, full truth. Even at that communion table, he was like, Judas, you're going to kill me. You're going to betray me. Truth. But I'll wash your feet. What? Full grace, full truth. And he does that for every single one of us. You might be running away and rejecting him right now. Jesus doesn't go, well, strike you off the good list. You're on the naughty list now. No. No. Anyone who confesses their sin, anyone who calls me Lord, anyone who invites me into your heart, you're saved. <laughs> oh, what grace. I found in you, my Savior. That should move us. That Jesus doesn't lead us according to a five-point plan. He brings full grace, full truth into your mess, into your issues, into every single darkness of your soul. And he continues to bring grace. He continues to bring truth because he loves you as you are. And he also loves who he's designed you to be. He loves you as you are and He also knows the life that you will be able to access when you start really living. This morning, if we can get the band up, I'm really sorry that time has run, but I just wanna pray with people. Who you know that you have been rejecting Jesus, you know that this truth and grace stuff really hurts sometimes, it does. When you hear that you're not there yet, yeah, it does hurt, but it's good hurt. Just like when I pulled the, I don't know, muscle, nerve, weird body part that I did not know I had. At the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I should never exercise. No, no, I want to get fit. I saw one of the pastors put fit at 40. I'm like, oh my gosh. I was fit at 10. But what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Because Jesus isn't the one rejecting you. Jesus says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. Anyone who will receive me, receive salvation. Oh my gosh, I need that. Every day of my life, knowing that Jesus continues to love, continues to stay, bringing grace, amazing grace, but also bringing amazing truth. That I am a sinner, that I'm destined For hell and destruction. That's the simple truth of the gospel. But yet, because of His stripes, I am healed. Because of His wounds, I have been set free. Because He died on the cross, I don't have to die. And because He rose again, I have life available to me. Life in eternity and true life while on earth. So if anyone wants that, can you please pray this with me? Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. I know I'm a sinner. I know that I have fallen short. But I thank you that you died for my sin and you rose the third day. You've conquered death. You've conquered sin. And I want to live in that. Be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.